Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, Joe McCall here, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and I'm with Alex. How you doing, Alex? Good, man. Awesome to be on another call, another great guest, uh, talking yes. about some uh, great real estate information, maybe the best out there. I'm excited about this call because this is a guest who is in one of the most competitive markets in the U.S., and he still finds a way to do a lot of deals, which just goes to tell you there are no excuses. You know, how bad no do you excuses. want it? Yep, yep. <laughs> I love it. And so, um, Alex, what's been going on with you? I think it's been a week since we talked. Yeah. So I've been working with a acquisitions or having a guy go out and do my appointments for me. Actually, a guy that I've known for quite some time. Um, in fact, one of the guys that got me into this business and he was looking for some more things to do. So uh, he's out there running appointments for me and, and doing a good job. And the... Last one, I actually, I went on the appointment as well at the same time, because this was one where I've been, man, I've been talking to this guy for maybe like two years. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a funny situation because I pull up to the house and this guy drove his camper, his uh, motor home down and is parked in front of the property. And he's staying in there instead of inside the property because his brother is staying in there. And he feels that his brother is kind of eccentric, so he doesn't want me to meet him. And he thinks, you know, I'll get scared or weird, weirded out by him and all this kind of thing. But so he goes, so we get to the property and he goes, step into my office. So and <laughs> meaning his camper van, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Or his motorhome. So we walked into there. I go and sit down and uh, it wasn't ba a big motor vehicle for any stretch of the imagination, you know, smaller size. So we're sitting down and I notice on his countertop in there, you know, the countertop that's covered that is usually the sink, but has a cover over it. Yeah. So you can use it counter space. Uh, he's got a stack of about six postcards up there. Oh, wow. And he goes, he's like, I, I get these postcards like once every month and a half or two months. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, actually, okay. Well, I mean, what would your first thought be hearing that? He's getting a lot of postcards. Is that a lot of postcards? A One, postcard every month and a half? Oh, no, or two I'm sorry. Months? I thought I was thinking a week. No, it's not a lot. Yeah, I thought that to myself too, because it's a competitive area, desirable area. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe things aren't as uh, tight as I thought. So, But anyway, I talked to him and pretty much acted like those postcards weren't there. All along, he'd been trying to sell the property to me for 120, um, and this was back, you know, a few years ago. And after we walked through the property, and my acquisitions guy actually did a lot of the talking because he's really good at working with people and reading them and figuring out what makes them tick and all that kind of thing. And yeah. when we come back and sit down, he's like, he tells him he's a realtor as well, which he is, and he says, the guy goes, "Hey, uh, if I were to list this property, what do you think I could list it for?" you think I could list it for 150 or 160? And my acquisition guy goes, yeah, yeah, let's, let's try that. We could list it for 150, 160, you know, what? but you'll have to do this, 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 and that. And the guy goes, um, well, well, maybe I don't want to do that. Oh, what, okay. if, what if, 
What if I, what if, what if I was just to sell it? I, I'm gathering that maybe 120 is too much for you to pay. And we're like, yeah, kind of is. He's like, but you know, if I could get a hundred, I would do that deal. And my wow. acquisitions guy goes, you know, actually 95 was our strike price. And, uh, he goes, oh, well, I was really hoping to get a hundred. I said, well, how close can you come to your hundred and still be okay? You know, with not getting a hundred, he goes, well, you're at 95 and uh, I'm at 100. So how about 97.5? And we said, okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So we could probably, we'll wholesale that deal for probably 125 to 129, I would think. This acquisition manager is a keeper. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, I learned a ton from him in the beginning. He used to take me out on appointments in the beginning as I was the wholesaler. Wow. And let me watch him work with sellers and stuff like that. And he did that. So that way, you know, I would bring all my deals to him. Sure. And it worked out. It worked now, out. why is he wanting you to bring him leads? Well, he was in a spot. I don't want to go into a lot of personal details okay. and things okay. like that. But he had some a rough patch happen and uh, was in a spot where he needed to uh, make some things happen. And he knows I've got leads and things going on. So... Uh, we decided to uh, give it a go. Nice. Yeah. You know, I've found that many times you get a good wholesaler and, the, you know, for whatever the reason life happens or maybe they're just, they know they are too, uh, they're not gifted that way to send out consistent marketing, right? Yeah, and, it's interesting, right? Yeah. You're either gifted at sending out marketing or you're gifted at going out and talking to people. It's rare you find both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely more in the gifted of sending out the marketing side of things, right? But yes. uh, the you find somebody like that, and it's that's a match made in heaven. You just you send out the marketing, and they take the leads. Yeah, I like it. I just did a workshop in St. Louis, a wholesaling lease options workshop last week, and that's one of the things I spend a lot of time talking about. There's people here that I said to everybody in the workshop, you know, that you have money for marketing, but you don't have the time. There's other people here, you don't have the money for marketing, but you have the time and you're good at sales. You need to find who each other are and and, and, and partner with each other. Absolutely. I've, when I've done that before in workshops, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been really, really good. But we should move on to our guest. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, I know, Alex, you have to leave soon here for an appointment. So totally cool. Don't, you don't have to say goodbye or anything. Just, just, you know. Just drop out. Just drop out. But Andy... <laughs> Andy from Phoenix, Andy Werner. How are you doing, man? Doing well, Joe. How about yourself? Excellent. Werner, is that the right way to pronounce your last name? It is. It sounds German. Well, you know, actually, it, it is. I've, however, I'm Norwegian, not German, and all of my Norwegian family members take quite offense to the fact that somebody 300 years ago or so jumped over the fence and their name is continue to carry through with our bloodline. So I'm Norwegian with a German last name and nobody in my family wants to admit that. That's interesting because I have a German last name, Youngblood spelled with a J, you know, uh -huh. so when they came over Ellis Island, but I also have the Scandinavian or Swedish side as well. So kind of the same combo. Yep, for sure. So um, I just found out when you're talking about ancestors that, uh, <laughs> One of my ancestors was some guy that signed the, the Declaration of Independence. No way. Yeah, I don't remember. His no, name. Joe. Come on. <laughs> anyway, 
Yeah, that's true. I think it is. Well, who knows? You think it is. <laughs> it sounds good. Well, it? it sounds good. I a... found out one of my ancestors actually was the guy that killed Hitler. So there. Well, he you, killed you himself. Know, <laughs> didn't did, he? did you know that one of my ancestors, well, two of my ancestors were Adam and Eve? <laughs> just to <laughs> say <laughs> well, aren't you special? <laughs> That's funny. So, Andy, you're in Phoenix. Is that okay if we talk about you being in Phoenix? Absolutely. It is where I live. So, yeah, for sure. Which is a super competitive market. And uh, you you guys are doing pretty well there. You've been doing real estate for a while. Talk about maybe what you're doing currently in Phoenix and then go back. Let's. We'll ask you some questions about your history. Sure. What sure. are you guys currently doing in Phoenix right now? Wholesaling fix and flip. You know, we just actually got done with an HGTV show. We're not on the show. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think we will be in the show as prospective buyers in the open house scene. For those of you that have not realized this yet, reality TV is anything but real. Sure. And so, you know, we have a couple of gals. The show is a pilot. And so there's a couple of gals that are kind of the stars of the show and, and whatnot. But they used one of our properties and we did all the work and, and, um, you know, it was a really interesting process. I don't know if I'd do it again or not, but a lot of work, um, but very, very, very interesting. So anyway, um, wholesaling, fixing, flipping, lending, those are the core businesses, been doing all of those for 17 years. And yeah, so I mean, the majority of the deals that we're, we're finding right now is either through direct mail or through um, actually cold calling. So that's uh, that's where we're getting the lion's share, and and honestly, because Phoenix is such a competitive market, if if I spend time just making sure that I'm on every wholesaler's list out here, which by the way, there's a new one popping up every day, it seems like, and there's just a ton of them. If I have somebody dedicated to spending the time to just fishing those wholesale lists, we can get at least a deal a week off of those because. A lot of these guys underpriced properties. They don't know how to value them properly. And and in fact, I just got one under contract yesterday that a guy didn't know what he had. So um, that's amazing because Andrew or Andrew, I, I keep on calling <laughs> you either one. Hope you don't mind. Uh, <laughs> the you hear the opposite so many times from people, right? That wholesalers are just overpricing their properties. That's all junk. They never see any good deals on those lists. But you're saying you actually do. Yeah. So. So the answer to that question is yes, the majority of them are junk and they are overpriced and they are, you know, not a good deal. But just like anything else, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you do your direct mail, is every phone call you get a deal? No. And are you going to be able to secure a contract on every single inbound call you get? Absolutely not. And so it's the same thing here. You got to put it through a filter or a funnel and funnel it down until bam, there's one, you know? And so it, it's, it's inevitable. Every time I, I dedicate a little bit of time to just looking through what people are emailing out, there's a deal, there's a deal there. And it's usually a smaller guy's list. And so I know he's not got the distribution power that we have. And so we can remarket it. I typically don't like, if it was a bigger guy, you know, a bigger a wholesaler down here that did that, I would only take that property down to fix and flip it, not to re-wholesale it. Cause you really contaminate your list when you send out yeah, a property again um, that somebody else has already done because the chances of you guys having the same customer base is extremely high. Yeah. Well, you could also, couldn't you, go ahead and make offers on the deals on the on, on the expensive or um, not good deals that wholesalers send you, right? For sure. Yeah. 
one of the, uh, I was just, I had a coaching call the other day with a client and um, they had a deal. They, they were doing some marketing. They had a seller that said, I don't want to sell that house, but I have this commercial property. And he's making a $50,000 assignment fee on this deal. Nice. Five zero. And what happened was he didn't, this was in another market. He didn't know anything about the market. Um, he got it. He just trusted the seller. The seller said it was appraised for eight ninety eight hundred ninety thousand dollars. I think is what the numbers were. And then uh, he's willing to sell it for seven fifty. So it sounded like a good deal. He said, "Okay, fine." He got it under contract. Was marketing it. Didn't have a big list, and he found a few people that you know said, "Ah, it's just too expensive." But then one guy said, "That's those numbers aren't going to work." But I would offer you six fifty for it. And so he negotiated um, an assignment fee from this guy. So he's going to make $50,000 assignment fee. But all because one of the investors on his list said, that's ah, too too much, but I wouldn't, I would pay this for it. He was able to go back to the seller who was motivated and dropped his price $100,000 because he had wow. to sell it. For sure. And so I've that's been telling people. a big haircut. Well, it is. That's how, But that's how I, he was so motivated. And this was a commercial property, not getting a lot of interest in it. But the... The point is, how many of us just ignore or overlook these deals that wholesalers are sending to us because we think they're not any good? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but why not go ahead and make offers on a number that would work? And how many deals could you possibly get from that? And then you could even follow up with those deals, You know, keep a list of all of those deals that are being mailed to you, find out from the wholesaler when they have to close, and the day after, skip trace the seller and call the seller up. Oh, you got to be careful there. Why? <laughs> contract interference, stuff like no, no. that. After well, you find out it's supposed to close on the 15th, you contact the seller on the 16th. That's all I'm mean, saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got to be careful. Well, you know, you could call that the expired wholesaler trick, but you got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> True. So, you know, never you never want to go around behind another wholesaler's back or try to cancel or ne- negate one of their contracts. But anyway... Yeah, great advice. Great advice, Andy. I know that a lot of people listening to this are thinking, wow, that's a good idea. Why don't I do that? And it's yeah. all free marketing. There's, there's deals everywhere. I mean, you just you just got to find a way to put them in a filter and filter it out. You know, I mean, this business is not complicated. It's just something that you have to be religious about doing some very simple steps over and over and over again. And Andy, do you think you could find deals if you put effort into it? Do you think you could start finding deals on the MLS, even in a competitive market like Phoenix? Just got one under contract this week on the MLS. <laughs> and, and not only did I get it, and we were getting about two a month last year. This is only the second one I've gotten this year on the MLS. Uh, and, and, you know, the MLS is super, super competitive in, in Phoenix, um, as you can imagine, because it's already a very competitive market. But sure. we got one. This is in Tempe. It's a two miles from Arizona State University. So, I mean, it's prime, prime housing situation. You know, whoever buys this most likely will either be parents of kids that are going to ASU or an investor who's going to rent it to students to go to ASU. It's just a two-bedroom, two-bath house on a little 3,500-square-foot lot. But we, uh, you know, I have an agent that works directly for me, spends you know, a couple, two to three hours a day combing the MLS for me. All right. And, and, and that's part of her job. That's all she does. And she's got full authority to write offers on my behalf. And sometimes she writes them a little bit too high and whatever, but it's okay. We've got our inspection period. And so this was a, 
exact example of that. She got this one tied up for 135 and she she's all excited and she says, Hey Andy, I got this one tied up for 135. I said, Great, let me go look at it. What was so it? I go drive. What was it listed for, Andy? Uh it was listed for 150. Okay. okay. So listed for 150. We get her under contract for 135. And she's all excited. I go drive the property and I'm like, okay, it needs new electric and a new meter and it needs a new roof. You probably didn't account for that. And then I, I hadn't even comped the property yet. So then I went back and, you know, she thought it was worth 190. I really think it's probably worth 175, 180. And I just said, it's not going to work. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, in the, in the inspection, ask them for $15,000 in lieu of repairs. Cause I knew they weren't going to repair. They could either repair or give us $15,000 for a new roof and a new electric. And they came back and they said, how about eight? And I said, no. And they, and I just thought they'd go away. And a week later, just yesterday, they came back and they said, okay, we'll, we'll do it 120 as is. So I got another $15,000 off. Now it's a deal. So we're under contract, got to close next Friday. We, and remember the original listing was 150. I got it for 120. Amazing. Yep. On the MLS in probably the most competitive market in the country. Was this a new listing that she came up and she just made the offer on it? 35 days on market. Wow. You're kidding me. Nope. <laughs> so it just goes to show, I mean, yeah, we, we have search parameters in our MLS that, you know, help us, you know, sift through everything, you know, keywords and, and I mean, certainly stuff that pops up first day on the market, you know, we're, we're definitely checking that, but you know, certain keywords will pop up in our searches. And sometimes those get added after the fact, you know, fixer upper or crack slab or probate or whatever, you know? And so I don't, I don't know exactly how this one popped up so late in our search, but it did. And she, uh, so there you go. What if Andy, all you did is you had somebody full-time maybe not full-time, just even a part-time virtual assistant every day, look at every property that hits the 30-day list and look for properties that need work, that just need updating. Ignore the price, ignore the keywords, just because there's not a lot of them. Look at every new property that hits 30 days that needs work and make an offer on those things. Yep. It's, it's, it's just another way. I mean, there's, there's deals to be had out there. I mean, the biggest challenge that a wholesaler has with getting something under contract on the MLS is having to get it for less than what they're listed at right now, because the psychology, at least in my experience, the psychology of the wholesale buyer, when they go to do the comps on the property, they look on the MLS and they see that it was listed, let's say for 150 and you're trying to sell it for, 155, they're like, I'm not buying that. I could have just gotten it off the MLS, even though they didn't. And even though they couldn't, that's the psychology. It's insane. And it's like people want, investor buyers seem to want these off market deals. So like this particular deal, because it was listed for 150, we got it under contract for 120. We're not going to have a problem wholesaling this because people are going to be like, wow, man, this guy really beat up that seller, you know? Right. But that's just, it's a, it's a weird psychology. One of the tricks that we've done with other MLS deals that we've gotten under contract, maybe right at asking or something like that so that we can wholesale them, especially if it's something that had been on the market and they'd already lowered the price or something, is we'll call the agent and ask them to, after we get it under contract, to raise the price back up to their original listing price. And we just say, hey, we need to do this for our lending partner. Interesting. And 90 plus percent of the time, they'll just do it. 
and it just helps us to wholesale. We don't tell them, Hey, cause I want to wholesale this, you know? Um, yeah. Just, Hey, can you do this? I need this for my lending partner. It helps me. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. Wow. Fascinating. I, I love hearing these stories, Andy, because, you know, I just, I just talk to a lot of people that are complaining that this doesn't work in their market. You know, they, right. they try and maybe they're, they are legitimately trying hard. Right. But for whatever reason, they're quitting, they're giving up too early. They're just not marketing hard enough. And maybe it's because they don't really want it that bad enough. I don't know. But again, I, I, that's why I love doing this podcast, Andy, because I get to meet people like you that are doing this stuff in difficult competitive markets and sticking with the basics, the fundamentals. You're still sending direct mail. You're still making offers on the MLS. And you're doing something really cool, too, I want to talk about in a minute. You're actually making phone calls. Yep. So can I ask you some questions about the direct mail that you are doing? Sure. You don't have to get into, into as much granular detail, but you're, about how much mail are you sending per week? Mm, we do it by month, not by week. Okay. But I'd say between me and my partner, we're doing about 80,000 pieces a month. Okay. 80,000 pieces a month. Let's say that's is that postcards or letters or just a mix. I like postcards personally. We get a better response rate on them. So we've done letters in the past, but I just think the response rate is significantly better in this market on the postcards. So yeah. So yeah, postcards primarily. Okay. And then um, that's about, I mean, this is being conservative, 35 grand a month in direct mail. Right. Okay, good. All right. And then you're also doing making offers on the MLS. You have a realtor just doing that for you. Correct. You're getting deals from other wholesalers. You're on every wholesaler's list. Are you evaluating those emails, those deals yourself, or do you have somebody in your office doing that? I have somebody else doing it. I can't do all of it. Obviously, I've got way too much going on. So yeah, I've got somebody else dedicated to that. And then usually when they get something and they're like, hey, this, take a look, you know, or they might need my help, then then obviously I step in. But, you know, I've, I've trained them all pretty well. And, and you know, kind of the 80, 20 rule. I want to get them 80% good. So they're taking that off my plate. And and then when I need to step in, you know, Hey, this one looks like it's really good. Can you just confirm for me? Then I can, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, back to your direct mail, you're sending, there's no secret magic list or secret magic bullet postcard. Is there? No, no. I mean, I, I, of course we test and test and test, but you know, we've got a pretty good one right now that I think uh, pulls pretty well. It's highlighter yellow. It's, it's not, I mean, it's three by five, I think. I don't know exactly the size, but it's not a big one. You know, yeah. it, it's a normal size. It's, I think our cost, cause we do so much is in the high 20 cent range, including postage, you know? So, you know, we get a pretty good, pretty good deal, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's got good copy on it and, and yeah, yeah it, I mean, it works. And you're sending to, I mean, with that much, you're probably pretty targeted in your areas, right? You're just sending to absentee owners, high equity? Yep. Absentee owners, high equity, vacant houses, probate, what else? You know, the foreclosure list, right when, you know, something's in pre-foreclosure, we, we mail to 60-day lates. We mail to, we have a bad, bad credit, own a home. Yeah. List that we mail to seniors with equity. We even dial things down into certain parameters, like the most recent mailing we did, which has been a really good list for us. This particular mailing has got a huge response rate. 
we mailed to absentee owners with equity that purchased between the years of 2009 and 2013. Hmm. And that was very specific for our market because in 2009, we were like in the absolute lowest point in a generation for prices, right? And so then that started to squeeze up all the way to 2013. So not only do they have equity from a, you know, most of those data providers are pulling that, you know, the, the equity find is really off of tax assessed value. And so, you know, these are people that had bought properties that have significant equity, even more than what that would show on the uh, tax data. And so it's getting a really, really good response rate so far. And a lot of people aren't mailing that segment. You know, they're looking for absentees that bought over 10 years ago or something like that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. They're just, they're not dialing it into that, that niche of, of a, of a tight thing. So, yeah. Talk about what kind of target market you like to go after. What is it, is there a price range or specific type of house you like to target? Well, right now in this market, in our market, in Phoenix Metro, we really like the under 200,000 retail, under 250 on the high side, but under 200. And honestly, I don't really care. I mean, four years ago, I was doing high-end houses in North Scottsdale because that's all these Canadian buyers were coming down here and had cash. And there was a big exchange rate difference between the Canadian dollar and our dollar. And so I just go where the market is and what the data shows. So right now, there's a massive housing shortage in Phoenix Metro in that under $250,000 price range. And the reason for that is, is, is builders aren't building properties of, of that price range because there's no money in it for them. Right. And so there's a massive amount of people that can afford to buy a house in that price range, but there's no new product. So there's you know, big demand and uh, low supply. And so when we focus directly on that, not, you know, our investor buyer is going to fix up the property. He wants that house because he's going to put it on the MLS and have it sold in a week, you know, and he's going to have the best product out there. And I mean, case in point, our, our house that we did on HGTV, I mean, we put that on the market on Friday for $30,000 more than I would have put it on the MLS for if I was just doing that house as a fix and flip myself. Okay. And, and the reason is, it's just the house is just way overdone for the area. I mean, just, you know, it's a low end house and HGTV provided so much of the materials that it's, you know, it's got silstone countertops and, you know, real wood shaker style cabinets and real hardwood floors and an electric fireplace. I mean, just, it's ridiculously overdone. So we list this property for $30,000 more. I was going to list it for 180 if I was doing the house myself. We listed for 210. I'm getting an offer today. It's insane. Wow. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at Redfin right now in the Phoenix area. Homes priced between one hundred dollars and $200,000 that have been on the market for over 30 days that have had their price reduced in the last week. Guess how many homes there are? Not many. I have no idea. 120. Yeah. So, so do, do, you, do you know how little that is? I mean, this is a city of 5 million people. Yeah. And so 120 houses, I mean, it, that, it's, it, it kind of, I guess, proves the point that those must have been overpriced or whatever. I mean, it, it is seriously, seriously such a housing shortage in that price range. So, But you could also look at it and say, wow, like 120? Those are 120 houses I could be making offers on. For sure. Because there's some, they're, they're dropping their price. You're saying the market's so hot. Why are these people dropping their prices? If they could sell their house so quickly and easily, they're dropping their price. Maybe that's they're being a little aggressive, right? But you know, if you, if you look through these homes, I'm going to sort this by 
price, okay? Low to high. And I'm sure. looking at some of these homes, the, especially the cheaper ones, and they need a lot of work. Is there like a, like this one's got these ugly floors. That's that's a quick and easy rehab. Paint and carpet. This other house doesn't have any interior p- pictures, so you know it needs work. But, you know, do you, I'm just looking at these homes and they, they need work, right? They need updating. Do you, um, what was I going to ask? Oh, yeah, I remember what it was. Are there like neighborhoods you, you avoid? that you don't want to uh, target because they're just too bad? No, I don't. I mean, again, we, we, we've been doing this for so long that we've got a buyer for pretty much anything. Yeah. So there's certain areas that we definitely sell better. And there's definitely, you know, a few areas that are, you know, for lack of a better word, war zones, but even those war zone areas, you know, there's a few, we've got a few buyers out there. I mean, they're, they're, we have a guy, actually a couple of guys that really work the Hispanic market. They speak Spanish, and obviously this is a very Hispanic market because of our proximity to the border of Mexico and all that. And and so oftentimes these guys that are kind of I would call them a middleman, they're a wholesaler realtor, but work directly with the Hispanic market. And so they'll know like, hey, I've got a guy who will buy that house, and he's going to move into it and fix it up, you know. And he'll pay cash, you know, because Hispanic culture is very good savers. And and they're okay with living in that super rough neighborhood because they want to have the American dream or whatever. Yeah. You know, where I might not get a uh, an investor who's going to go in there and fix it up because he doesn't want everything to get stolen every other night that he leaves there. A end user who's going to go in there and fix up the property. I mean, we had this real crapper a couple months ago and exact scenario. I mean, it was like a 700 square foot house built in the 30s. And in a really, really awful part of town. And, you know, we, we, I think I made like six grand on it, wholesaling it. That guy made four grand, I think. And the guy that bought it moved into it, you know, and and this was a $50,000 purchase, which is really unheard of in Phoenix. Wow. For a single, for a single family house. Right. You know, while you're talking here, I'm just looking at comps, right? Uh-huh. And uh I mean I looked at this one property. I, I found this property. It's in Maricopa, eight five one three eight. It's a mm-hmm. short sale. Mm-hmm. Now obviously those are tricky, but it was built in twenty thirteen. Nice looking home. Mm-hmm. They're asking one forty five. Now why is it it's been on the market for forty days? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just keeping it active to while they're negotiating the bank. I don't know. Maybe they already have contracts on it. I don't know, I'm not sure how they do that in, in the uh, Phoenix, Arizona, right? Yeah, well, people will tie stuff. Investors will tie up short sales because they don't care. I mean, uh, an end user hates buying a short sale, as you know, because they don't know if they're ever going to get it. Investors, it's like, hey, it's just a piece of meat. What do I care, right? If I close, great. If we don't, we don't. You know, it's just something in my pipeline. But if it's tied up under contract, does it stay active there? They can leave it active, but they would. It wouldn't say active. I don't know how Redfin would displace this. If we went on the MLS, we'd know for sure. But Redfin, I think, doesn't differentiate between what we call UCB, which is under contract accepting backups, and just flat out active. So it, it I believe, and, and again, I could be wrong that Redfin would still show that as active because it is technically active. Okay. Most short sale agents on the listing side will when it gets under contract, they will put it as UCB as opposed to pending because they want to be able to encourage other people coming in. 
All right, so the, it's act, it was listed for 145. I just looked real quick on Redfin for sold comps the last three months in that neighborhood, sorted mm-hmm. it from low to high. There's nine homes, like literally within half a mile, that have sold in the last three months, and mm-hmm. sort it low to high. And you're looking at nice homes, similar that have sold for like 150, 160, 165, okay. right? So why can't somebody look at this? Look at these homes every day and just make a quick offer. Let's say it's worth 155 fixed up, right? Have a VA pull up an Excel spreadsheet or a calculator, take 155. And I'm doing a calculation right here. Times, let's do 80%. Mm-hmm. And this thing, looking at it, I mean, it just needs carpet and paint. Probably. I mean, if it was built in 2013, it's not going to need much more than that. Right. Let's subtract to, uh, 10K for repairs. Subtract ten thousand for a wholesale fee, and offer one hundred and four. Yep, just do it. You can have a VA do that. It it, it just in the in mm-hmm. the couple minutes that it took me to look all it up, have a VA do that every day for you. Yep, for sure. I love it. Okay, anyway, there's a lot of opportunity out there. I'm just hoping that people listening to this can not be discouraged by the market and how tough they think it is. When you go to the local RIA groups, you hear everybody complain about how hard it is, and you hear other wholesalers complain about how hard it is. But um, there's activity out there. You just have to do what other people are not doing. And Andy has found a way to do that. You also lend on deals, right? So you probably, Andy, I'm suspecting you get people that bring you deals because you are, you do have a presence there in Phoenix already, right? For sure. Yeah, we have people bring us deals all the time. Nice. And then how, how, do you enjoy the lending business? What are your, what are some of the advantages to doing that? Cash flow. <laughs> okay. You know, this market, you know, my, my business partner in our education business is a bigger lender in town here. And like everything else in Phoenix, the lending market here is ultra competitive as well. So 10 years ago, the hard money loan business was an awesome business in this market because you, you got 18%. Everybody was charging 18%. Um, we could go borrow funds from investors for between 10 and 12% and still make a 6 to 8% margin on the money. And that was awesome. Well, it's gotten beaten up pretty bad now. And there's a couple of lenders out here now that are between 10 and 12%, no points. Wow. So, which is, you know, I don't know, everybody that's listening on this call, I challenge you to tell me another state that has interest rates that low on a competitive basis anywhere else in the country. So it's become a really, really tight margin business. And so it's not horribly profitable in this market, but, you know, I, I have a partner um, for the lending that I'm involved in up in the Northwest where that's a very, very competitive market. Uh, I'm, uh, competitive, not uh, as an investor, but competitive from like a, there's tons and tons of retail sales happening ultra fast. So that market is like ultra, ultra hot right now, like probably one of the hottest in the country from a sales standpoint and interest rates for lenders have not gotten beaten up up there. So, I mean, 18% and one point still fairly common. I mean, 15 yeah. and two is still pretty common. And so we make a much better margin lending up there than my partner down here does in the Phoenix market. But, you know, you have to be more creative in Phoenix. I mean, in Phoenix, what you end up having to do is, is, uh, you know, he, he loans at 14 typically here and has a hedge fund that then will come in and because he's got a banker's license, will then buy that up from him for 
say nine, and then he gets his capital back and he still gets to make his margin, you know, so he, he still gets five, five percent there. So, and, and then gets his capital back to go redeploy it. So. Okay. So that's, well, I know it is getting tough, but uh, let me, let me switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the cold calling that you're doing. Uh-huh. First of all, let me ask you again, how many deals are you guys averaging a month right now? Well, it depends. I mean, the question is, uh, how many deals are we getting on our own or how many deals are getting brought to us are two different answers. But we're taking down, I don't know, on our own between six and 10. And then, you know, my partner and I probably get in another 10 brought to us a month. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And then let's talk about the cold calling, telemarketing. Are you guys just calling old leads? Are you calling new leads that are coming in? I mean, I'm sorry, uh, like, are you just harvesting phone numbers or who are you calling? So everybody, so all the lists that we were talking about earlier that we're doing direct mail to. So let's just take as an example, what I said, we, we mailed to absentee owners with equity between that purchased between 09 and 13. Okay. Mm -hmm. We take that list and we call it, we mail it and we call it. Nice. Yep. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) It, Literally that's it. And, and, and and so any any list that you would do direct mail to is a, is the same list that you would call and, and I mean you don't have to necessarily call it at the same time you do the direct mail to it. I like doing that because the lead, the person on the other side, they're like, man, this guy's everywhere. He's yeah. calling me. He's mailing me. You know, it, anytime you can use multiple marketing channels, you have a leg up. You know, because people respond to different things. Some people like a phone call. Some people like mail. Some people like an email. Some people like, you know. X, Y, Z. So, I mean, we using different marketing channels allows you to be able to have a broader reach. I also think that at least right now, probably in the whole country, because if, if it's uh, working here and probably the most competitive market in the country, it's going to be even better anywhere else. Not very many people are doing the calling. And the reason for that, if you were to ask me, is because our country as a whole hates telemarketing, hates it. I mean, like it's, it's literally like most, if you were to ask most people walking down the street, they would think it was so far beneath them. They would rather be a garbage man. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I mean, seriously, it's like, it's, it's so like beneath people like, oh man, those people that do that, they're, they're that, that's, that's worse than being a garbage man or whatever. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And, and, and so people would rather spend money on direct mail then do that, which is more effective. And it's more effective because less people are doing it. I mean, we go to houses and, you know, there's a stack that's an inch and a half thick of postcards that people have gotten, you know? Yeah. I'm listening and just shaking my head, thinking that people just must value their uh, (laughs) dignity or comfort. I guess it would be a better word. It's not dignity. But like, it's just hard. It's com- for- no, it's comfort. It's comfort. Yeah. They don't want to get out of their comfort zone. And look, nobody here is su- suggesting on this call that this is easy. It's not easy. I mean, you, you're going to get a lot of, you know, angry people, you know, hanging up on you, screaming at you, that kind of thing mm-hmm. from time to time. But you're also going to get, once you get into your zone, your groove, uh, listen, if you do this three hours a day, here's the things I can tell you for sure. 
and, and it's really hard to do it for more than three hours a day. So I wouldn't suggest doing more than three and I wouldn't do it for less than three because the magic hour seems to be that third hour. If you do this consistently, um, meaning every day, let's say you do it five days a week, just you, you know, whoever you are, right. You just try this out, try it out for a month, commit yourself to three hours a day, five days a week. You'll average two leads a day leads. That's not deals. Two leads a day. We know from direct mail that typically somewhere between 10 and 15 leads gives us a actual contract. So in theory, if I get two leads a day at the end of the week, I have a contract. Now, obviously it's not going to happen immediately like that, but, but in theory, if you just did that, which the cost here is almost none. And you have now, again, all things being equal, if you're working it right and, and you're good at it, just doing that, you would have four deals a month with no marketing <laughs> cost, uh, almost none, almost none marketing cost. Oh man. Uh, I'm so excited about this too. Cause we just released our uh, product. We called it automated mojo. There's a certain dialer that we recommend you all use, but we re- just released this course called automated mojo. And if anybody was interested in this, go to automatedmojo.com get more information about it. But you're absolutely right. Andy, so many people are afraid of this. They ignore it. Oh, I just realized it's seven minutes after one o'clock. I need to get going. But uh, uh, it's an amazing tool and nobody's doing it. And it's one of the easiest ways in a, any market, especially competitive markets, to get deals. <laughs> I wish we could talk more about this. I, did, I just realized I'm way past our time. Andy, how can people get a hold of you if they want some more information? Let's say they're a private investor and uh, they're they're looking to maybe partner with you on some rehabs. Maybe they're looking for deals in Phoenix uh, or they're wanting to learn about how to do investing, how to do real estate. What is some good ways to get to reach you guys? Sure. So we do, we have an education business um, that, you know, we do, we do private coaching. We're local, so we don't do it on a national scale. So we're, we're, we're local. We definitely teach people. I think real estate's um, a local business. And so we're the local guy has been doing this 17 years. And so we do coaching and mentoring here in the Phoenix market. Um, my education company is called REI Ground School. So you can find us at reigroundschool.com. And uh, we've got, actually, we've got a seminar we're doing in Portland, but we're um, JVing that with uh, a local guy in Portland. But typically, yeah. we just do our seminars in, in Phoenix Metro. So reigroundschool.com is education. Um, anybody can also find me on my own personal site, which is streetwisepropertyinvesting.com. You can email me at Andy at streetwisepropertyinvesting.com. And nice. uh, you can find me that way. I'm, I'm on the Facebook under Andrew Werner, W-E-R-N-E-R. Cool. We've got a Facebook fan page, REI Ground School's Facebook fan page. So you can come find us on there as well. So number of different ways. We will have all those links in the show notes. Guys, if you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, get more information. Andy, I wish we had more time. I know you have to get going too. Any final words you want to say? Yeah. I mean, just the final word I'd just like to say is, listen, pick a niche and go with it. You know, I started out in this business in the trustee sales and all I did was trustee sales for seven years and it was a great niche for a while and and it's not great right now and markets change and adapt. But right now, you know, the dialing and the direct mail is working. I think the dialing is even better 
and would be in your market wherever you're at because if it's better here, it's definitely better anywhere else. So pick a niche and go with it and don't get yourself distracted by every shiny penny that keeps showing up. Just stay focused on one thing and just knock it out. Yep. Really good advice, Andy, from somebody that's crushing it. And I didn't even tell people how we know each other. We know each other from a couple different masterminds. And um, it's always fun hanging out with you, Andy. And uh, I hope that you continue to do well and prosper and keep on doing what you're doing, man. It's so awesome to hear. It's refreshing to hear, Andy, uh, your stories of, of actually doing deals in a really difficult competitive market. Well, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate the friendship. And uh, I'll, uh, I think I'm going to be up there seeing in, in your neck of the woods, uh, seeing Sean for his deal in the beginning of June. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. June. Yeah. So I'll hopefully be able to see you when I'm up there in June. Otherwise, I'll see you probably in October in Boise. Yes. Well, for sure, we'll have coffee or drinks uh, when you're here in June. Perfect. That'll be cool. good. All right, Andy. Take care. Good talking to you, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Joe. Bye bye. 